We'll hear argument next to number 965955, Steiny Richards v. Wisconsin. Mr. Karp, you may proceed whenever you're ready. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, this case presents the issue of whether the Fourth Amendment prohibits a blanket exception to the knock-and-announce rule in drug-dealing cases. This case turns on the sanctity of the home, the ultimate private place. This fellow was actually in a motel room, wasn't he? Mr. Chief Justice, I fully agree, and as one who's been a resident of a hotel recently, I would submit that it is the long-standing doctrine of this Court that a hotel room is a home for the purposes of the Fourth Amendment under Stoner v. California. Is there a case that says a motel room is a home? I believe Stoner v. California, United States v. Jeffers, United States v. California. I agree that those cases said that a hotel room is protected by the Fourth Amendment. I don't know that any of them ever said a hotel room is a home. Mr. Chief Justice, I believe that those stand for the proposition that the hotel room has the same protection as a home. If it has four walls and a roof, it's a home. I think that's probably correct. But when you say that a motel room, we're talking here about the sanctity of the home. We're talking about something that is protected under the Fourteenth Amendment in the same way that a home is. Yes, Mr. Chief Justice. The Fourth Amendment doesn't mention homes anyway, does it? It mentions the right of people to go to a person's house's papers, in effect. So I guess the real issue is whether a hotel room is a house. Do you think it's a house? Justice Scalia, I believe that the textual use of house is not referring to protecting the structure, but rather what occurs inside the house. The Bill of Rights was adopted in reaction to the anti-federalist concern that way too much federal power was going to exist, and it was going to invade the home and what it contained, the privacy, your family, your spouse. So I believe that the home is the core value of the Fourth Amendment. If the Fourth Amendment does not protect the home, it doesn't protect anything. Now, the judge who issued the search warrant in this case weighed the sanctity of the home against the general allegation by the police that drug dealers tend to carry on. And the judge who issued the warrant found that no-knock was not appropriate, specifically instructed the police not to exercise no-knock. They chose to disregard that limitation. Mr. Cobb, on that striking feature of this case, here was the affidavit of the police with asking for permission for no-knock, and the magistrate struck that out. Is that a common thing to include in affidavits, and how does it – is it ordinarily taken out? 
I have seen a n number of different forms of applications uh, for search warrants, uh, Justice Ginsburg, and um, sometimes there's, there's check-off boxes. Uh, in this particular case, uh, the police made an application for no-knock, and uh, Judge Frankel, uh, upon reviewing the facts that were pled in the complaint for the search warrant, uh, decided that, it, that the circumstances did not merit. Uh, when I'm asking you, maybe you don't know the answer to this question. Is it, is it standard operating procedure in Wisconsin for the police to ask for no-knock permission? Uh, Justice Ginsburg, I'm sorry, I misunderstood your question. There's no requirement that the police seek advance approval uh, of no-knock. No-knock warrants are neither specifically forbidden nor specific. As a matter of practice, the police, is this a common form of affidavit that the police ask for it? Often they do that, Justice Ginsburg. And is it also often that it, the judge X's it out, the magistrate X's it out? I cannot speak to that, Justice. Would it be a fair interpretation to say that the judge instructed uh, the officers that they must knock and failure to do so was therefore a violation of the warrant? Justice Kennedy, I hope I'm understanding your question correctly, but by, by, by striking it out, does that mean that they must knock? I believe that was Judge Frankel's intention, that his review of the facts presented to him did not present that it would be reasonable. Of course, that's not really in this case. This case is uh, here for us to test the rule uh, announced by the Wisconsin court that did not depend on the interpretation of the warrant. What would your position be if uh, the in, in situations where the magistrate does authorize a no-knock entry? Do you say that uh, if police then follow such an authorization and enter without knocking, uh, can we have a blanket rule saying that uh, if the magistrate has authorized it, it's going to be uh, in compliance with the Fourth Amendment? Justice O'Connor, the way I understand the question, I think that um, the, the pre-approval would not necessarily um, make the search reasonable. It depends on the particular circumstances confronted by the officer uh, at the time of the entry. I, I take it the converse would be true. The, the court might very well have said, you've got to knock. But if they get to the porch and they hear guns being fired inside, I take it uh, it would be quite reasonable for them to say, we're not going to knock, we're going to go in like gangbusters, and you wouldn't have a constitutional argument. Granted, Justice. Okay. Or even if they don't hear guns being fired, if they hear nothing but what the court expected them to hear, the court might have just been wrong. Isn't that right? As yes. to whether it would violate the Constitution. Yes, Justice Scalia, which is why it's so important that there not be a blanket exception that basically removes uh, the judicial process and has law enforcement then acting in an, uh, a way unfettered uh, by legal process. Uh, it basically makes the, the line officer the final uh, judge, jury, and, and executioner. Gee, that happens a lot of times with, uh, with uh, uh, searches and seizures. I mean, the number of exceptions to the warrant requirement are, you know, innumerable now. And with respect to every one of those uh, exceptions, exigent circumstances uh, and so forth, uh, it's up to the police officer to make his best judgment. Yes, Justice Scalia, but hopefully reviewable by a court. Oh, we're not saying it's not reviewable. Uh, but, uh, the blanket exception makes it, Justice Scalia, a very uh, simplistic process. The questions that are asked are, was there a search warrant? 
Was it for evidence of drug dealing? And it's not. What about automobiles? I mean, we have a blanket exception for automobiles, don't we? You can uh, you can search automobiles without a warrant. Yes, Justice Scalia, and, and I don't. The, the founders didn't include in the Fourth Amendment uh, that we uh, had a right to be secure in our carriages or or whatever. Um, the house is textual. The uh, this is I like in this area a blanket. <laughs> in this area. Uh, we would submit that a blanket rule would uh, would never uh, be acceptable with regard to unannounced entries. The, the courts even found... We recently uh, announced a blanket rule, did we not, uh, in, I believe it's Maryland versus Wilson, with reference to people stepping out of automobiles. Um, isn't this just as sensible? Justice Kennedy, I agree that that did set uh, a blanket rule, but... Uh, so there are blanket rules. But that was a very de minimis sort of intrusion. The cars stopped anyway. Um, so it, it really, this is not a de minimis intrusion. Here, that could be major. It could be a storm, and it could be some poor woman nursing a tiny baby or some sick person. That's not a de minimis rule. The court had already ruled in Pennsylvania uh, versus Mims that asking the driver to step out in the same circumstances was de minimis. I think uh, that Maryland versus Wilson was a fairly simple extension. This is simply not de minimis by any means. This is one of those extraordinary searches and searches, extraordinary invasion, uh, which is unusually uh, dangerous uh, and, and, and unusually invasive of someone's privacy. Uh, and the safety people get killed during these things. There's a high risk uh, in a no-knock search that citizens are going uh, to experience some sort of injury. The police come, come banging you through the door, uh, weapons are drawn, there's no notice, and it's dangerous to police too. People well, think it's dangerous even with a knock and announce as well, I assume, in situations like this where there's a drug dealer with weapons. Uh, by knocking and saying police here, uh, it gives the person time to get the weapons ready and, and uh, you can have just as much danger to the police who enter. Justice O'Connor, there was no indication that Steiny Richards had weapons. This, this was a 19-year-old kid from Detroit who was dealing coke. He's not a member of the main cartel. He you were speaking in generality yes. and so was I. Yes. Um, but he jumped out the window, didn't he? I mean, he had time. He found, as soon as he finds out the police are here, he jumps out the window and runs away. Well, I Is think that a legitimate was, concern? Justice Breyer, I think it's ambiguous that he knew the, that that was police. He looks out, he sees somebody he just jumped out the window for fun. He knew someone was trying to bang the door down. He figured, give up the drugs and save his skin. Hop, and hop out the window. This, we're talking about December 31st in Wisconsin. He was not going to get very far without a shirt, Justice Breyer. I, I, I take it that... <laughs> Right. <laughs> the, the, the police say uh, that they have a legitimate interest in some type, with drug deals in general, not announcing their presence because A, they might get killed, or B, the person might jump out the window, or C, he might flush the drugs down the, uh, down the toilet. He said that happens all the time, all the time. As soon as they find the police, it's into the bathroom, drugs are gone and they want to preserve the evidence, they don't want it to run away, and they don't want to get shot. So what is the response to those three? There, 
just spread. There was certainly no indication that Mr. Richards was going to attempt to destroy drugs. And certainly the way they were packaged, he would have had a heck of a time. Um, he, he, they were basically divided up into 100, uh, 120 uh, little plastic packets plus, plus chunks. And to, to answer your question, at the same time, sort of get back to Justice O'Connor's question, um, the mere fact uh, that, uh, that even if a drug deal has guns does not mean intends to use against the police. More than, more than, uh, more often than not, it's to, uh, to get, to enforce debts, uh, to protect themselves against rivals, uh, and people uh, certainly are afraid of being burglarized. Ma the most dangerous instances that we've come across in terms of these sort of police invasions without announcement is that people think they're being burglarized and take weapons out, get ready to shoot, and when they learn it's the police, uh, then they drop the weapons. The instances where police tend to uh, uh, get shot is not this, this, this myth that the Allegro article that's often referred to uh, speaks of this fatal funnel where the drug dealer uh, stands at the door with his weapon pointed at the door waiting uh, for someone to come in. More often than not, when an officer uh, is killed during one of these searches, it's because there's someone in a back room who's hiding. Once and again, I'd, I'd rather be inclined to uh, rely on the judgment of the officers uh, as to what is more or less likely to endanger their lives. You're asking us to give them a form of protection that they are too stupid to, uh, uh, to give to themselves? I mean, if indeed they're getting themselves killed more often by crashing in, I assume they're not going to crash in. I don't know why we have to adopt a constitutional rule to protect police officers from themselves. Justice Scalia, I agree. The Fourth Amendment is not there to protect government. It's not there to protect law enforcement. It's there to so protect I, I mean, citizens. This argument you've been, you, you, you've been uh, uh, dwelling on that, uh, you know, it's going to hurt the police officers more, I, I, you know, it, it's sort of... Uh, I don't see it. That'll take care of itself. If indeed uh, it's more dangerous for the police officers, presumably in the nature of things, police officers won't do it. Justice Scalia, I, I don't think there's any indication that, um, that in fact it is, uh, it is more dangerous uh, to the police uh, to announce. The data just is, is not there. The well, the state says so. I, you know, and... Uh, I'm, I'm inclined to accept their judgment as to, as to what's uh, more dangerous or less dangerous for the police. I, in any case, I don't, this is not really in response to your question, I, but in any case, in, in the, this court's very well-reasoned and unanimous decision uh, in Wilson versus Arkansas, uh, this court recognized a presumption in favor of announcement. I think that the uh, blanket exception, in fact, uh, ignores the precepts of Wilson and sets a presumption uh, against announcement. Suppose it, it, weren't, uh, it weren't blanket, Mr. McCarthy. Suppose it were uh, just a, this, w this really wouldn't serve your purposes in this case uh, anyway. Suppose we just had a rule. Sure, ordinarily you, you, you must uh, knock and announce. However, uh, there are extraordinary circumstances when you don't have to. And ordinarily, perhaps almost always, drug dealing is one of those extraordinary circumstances. Would that rule satisfy you? It's not an absolute rule. It just says, you know, ordinarily. Now, conceivably, there are some situations in which drug dealing wouldn't, uh, wouldn't allow you to go crashing in. If you know the drugs are being held in 100-pound bales by, uh, by little old ladies without guns. <laughs> 
Justice Scalia, again, that, that, that the presumption there is going the wrong way. So I'm not saying that there has to be announcement in every single case. Uh, but to, to basically uh, accept what I, I assume you're uh, discussing the, the U.S.'s position um, would, uh, would create a situation where uh, the police would, would possibly have no motivation to uncover facts that might lead uh, to an indication that this is this is the uh, the exception uh, to the exception. I think it's very hard to enforce rule uh, for law enforcement. And is uh, is the defendant then to have the burden of persuasion? What about a statute that settles it, like the two that are in the appendix to this amicus brief from Americans for Effective Law Enforcement, that gives the magistrate authority to find two things: uh, one that there's um, a danger to life and limb, and that the, uh, or, or that the, the uh, property sought may be easily or quickly destroyed. Is that, that, that statute, those two statutes constitutional, where the magistrate relieves the officer of the decision to be made on the spot by authorizing in the warrant a no-knock search if these conditions, if the magistrate finds these conditions present, that the property sought can be quickly destroyed or that there's danger to the life and limb of the officer or another. I, Justice Ginsburg, I think if there's a specific indication that there is danger uh, to the officer, that would be acceptable, but so it can be easily destroyed, I think uh, goes too far uh, and leads to procrastinating application because we can't deny that uh, that many drugs, particularly in small quantities, can easily uh, be destroyed. And, and yet that is a, a standard uh, reason for applying the exigent circumstances doctrine. And if exigent circumstances may be applied, uh, why, why can't they, the kind of, of pre-warrant uh, determination that the statute refers to and that Justice Ginsburg refers to? Justice Sue, I think that it, it leads to a danger in application well, there's a danger in application, I suppose, to exigent circumstances because it depends <laughs> upon a judgment made on the spot. This is somewhat less dangerous because it's not being a, a, a judgment made in the heat of action. I think that the mere fact that, that there's, there's drugs present uh, and that there's a toilet bowl nearby would not uh, constitute exigent circumstances. It's certainly easy enough for the police to turn off the water uh, so the drugs can be flushed. How are they going to turn on? You mean they, they're going to... Go into the basement of the building and turn the water. You uh, must have those fancy new toilets in your home. Ours, ours has a tank. You shut off the water, you get one flush anyway. <laughs> you got to try something else. Uh, well, I'm not arguing for the one flush rule, but uh, the <laughs> the uh, many many uh, many toilets in apartments and hotels do not have tanks. They can be easily flushed off they're outside the room. And, and most of the, I suppose the police could even put a tap on the sewer line so that the, the evidence says recovery. In fact, it has greater weight, so the penalty would be greater because then it's just that well, you've got the drug in solution. But in any case, this, this would be a, a procrastinate sort of application um, which, which Mr. Richard certainly wouldn't fit. Uh, he, uh, he was not poised to destroy evidence. Uh, he, there was no indication that, uh, that he was going to be armed uh, or violently resist. And uh, it'll fit uh, a lot, lot of people even less than it fit Mr. Richards. Uh, certainly, um, 
someone who has a, a marijuana growing operation outside uh, the house um, would not uh, fit this sort of well, uh, Under what circumstances, Mr. Kerr, do you think the police may dispense with the knock-and-announce rule in connection with a, a say, a drug search? Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, I believe when there are uh, particular circumstances uh, indicating there, there are exigent circumstances present or... Uh, or what, what, would, uh, what, what would some of those indications be? I mean, how, how easy would your rule be to apply in practice? Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, there's usually an informant involved in these things who's been in the, in the, uh, the, the home uh, who can uh, see whether there's provisions being made for destruction of property, see whether the people are armed. Um, Certainly, um, in, uh, in Wilson versus Arkansas, the court was aware of a number uh, of factors that could have led the court to, to conclude that a blanket rule uh, was acceptable, and the court uh, wisely chose uh, Would it to be do enough, so. Mr. Karp, if the police uh, had probable cause to believe that there were automatic weapons on the premises? Justice Stevens, that again would uh, approach uh, a blanket uh, sort of rule. Well, are you suggesting that in all drug uh, arrest cases that uh, we should assume there are automatic weapons present? Seems to me if you are, you may be suggesting an automatic rule makes a lot of sense. Well, I, uh, Justice Stevens, I don't know if I understood the question correctly, but I don't think you can dr necessarily draw the conclusion each time there's drugs that there's both weapons and... A no, I understand, but I'm saying if the application for a warrant indicates that police have probable cause to believe that the people who have the drugs also are armed with automatic weapons, uh, would that justify a no-knock entry? Justice Stevens, I think you'd have to look at the particular well, those are the facts. To be the facts are that there are three men in the premises in, in the motel room. It is known that they have automatic weapons. They have large quantity of drugs with them. That's all. They don't anything about their criminal history, but they know they, they're, they're armed in that way. Would that justify a no-knock entry in your view? No, I don't believe so. When, when would it be justified then? when there would be a particular circumstance that... Uh, but what more than I've told you, what would be an additional circumstance that would justify it? That uh, threats had been made uh, to, uh, to other persons, that uh, they had indicated uh, some sort of intention to violently resist, that uh, these are violent people with, with automatic weapons rather than peaceful people with automatic weapons. Just <laughs> <laughs> some people collect automatic weapons. <laughs> And take him to the hotel room and there is in Wisconsin. I think your reluctance to answer the question uh, to indicate that the police have the right to enter <coughs> when automatic weapons are present because you think we're going to say, oh, well, that's a per se rule. But at some level, you have to have certain standards and rules given by this court uh, for the police officer to act upon. And it seems to me that the, the presence of weapons is a perfectly sensible rule. Well, I think the reasonable, the reasonable suspicion standard is, is the applicable standard here. Um, uh, it's the, one of the relatively simpler concepts under the Fourth Amendment, I think, is easy uh, for the police to apply and uh, should apply in this case. Well, well, what about reasonable suspicion of automatic weapons? Then that would not be enough, in your view. No. So reasonable suspicion of what? Reasonable suspicion uh, that... Uh, the, the, the occupants 
uh, in fact, had the weapons, were prone to use them, weren't just collecting them. Uh, well, are you serious about saying this is a drug bust and you would have to show that the automatic weapons that the putative defendants had weren't just being collected in the motel room? Perhaps, uh, perhaps, uh, Mr. Chief Justice, would depend uh, on the quantity of the drugs involved um, as well. But there, there would have to be a regard towards the particularity uh, of the circumstances. Or the quantity of the automatic weapons, I suppose, if you had, you know, a couple of hundred of them, maybe they were collecting them, right? Uh, I mean, more, more than they could use. Uh, if, just suppose for a moment that I thought it was enough if, uh, if you had probable cause to believe that there were weapons in the room, that that would be enough to, to go crashing in. Uh, weapons, uh, you know, at the ready. Uh, if I th think that's enough, why wouldn't it be enough simply to know that this is a drug dealer? Assuming I can establish that 95% of the time drug dealers are armed. Uh, Justice Scalia, I believe that the answer to that lies in the fact that drug dealers uh, do not necessarily uh, have arms to use against the police, but rather uh, to defend against people who might steal from them, uh, to enforce debts. And, and particularly, uh, many people have firearms just around, not for per particular drug-related purposes, even though they might be uh, uh, drug uh, suspects. Uh, this, this, the the knock-and-announce rule uh, protects the, the innocent and the relatively uh, innocent as well. And if I may reserve my remaining time. Very well, Mr. Carr. Thank you. General Doyle, we'll hear from you. Uh, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court, the Wisconsin Supreme Court has made a common sense determination in light of the modern day drug trade that in the execution of search warrants for, for in felony drug dealing cases, it is reasonable under Fourth Amendment standards for the officers to not announce their presence and give the occupants an opportunity to react. There is discussion about what an invasive, intrusive uh, entry into the home this search is, and uh, we agree. Uh, agents uh, informed me that if you had videotapes of uh, a, a no-knock search and a knock search in a drug case, you would, be, you would see almost exactly the same events occur on that videotape, that even in the knock case, there will be an overpowering number of officers that are going to enter those premises. The officers will have their guns drawn. The officers will be shouting, police, police, search warrant. The officers will round up all of the occupants on those premises. Those occupants may sometimes be children. Those occupants may sometimes be elderly. Those occupants, because in Wisconsin we have no rule against nighttime searches, most of these searches in fact occur at night, those occupants may frequently be sleeping. Whether there is a knock, an announce, or a no-knock, there will be a rapid, overpowering, securing of the premises by the law enforcement officers who enter. How, how long do you uh, wait after announcing a knock, uh, uh, knock and announce? I mean, you, you knock, announce, nothing happens. How long does, does the officer typically wait before they do crash in? 
we, in Wisconsin, it depends somewhat on the circumstances, the size of the room. A motel room is going to be less than a mansion, but roughly 10 to, 10 to 15 seconds. Enough time for somebody to come to the door and uh, open the door. Just enough time for somebody who would hear the knock to, to come. That's correct. General Doyle, uh, if you're correct that the videotapes would show the same scenario, regardless of whether it's a knock or no knock, doesn't that suggest that the no knock, uh, that the requirement of a knock doesn't really harm the law enforcement uh, operation? It harms law enforcement enormously because uh, in, in circumstances, and we would argue in, in drug dealing cases, because that knock and announce, it's 10 to 15 seconds of waiting, and then it's however long a time it takes to get organized then to come through the door. Right. And during that time, uh, a person on the other side who is going to train a gun at that, at that door is, has full time to do it, or a person who is intent on uh, destroying uh, uh, narcotics may do it. Uh, there's the suggestion in this case that there's no evidence that anybody was going to destroy drugs. Well, it's interesting, these drugs were stored in the bathroom. Uh, that, and, and under Wisconsin law, like under most law, even if you don't get them all destroyed, the fewer drugs they find, the lesser penalties you have under our drug law. Well, if you're going to rely on destruction of evidence, wouldn't, would it not be true that in every drug case, uh, there is the possibility that some of the drugs will be flushed down the toilet? It is Therefore, true. you don't really have to rely on the violence at all. It is true that in every uh, drug case there will be destruction, there, there is the potential of destruction. Uh, the Wisconsin blanket rule applies only to felony drug cases because of the, the uh, convergence uh, in a violent and dangerous form of commerce of but, weapons and the destruction. But my question really, General Dell, is if, if the potential for destruction of evidence is sufficient by itself to justify no-knock, why shouldn't the rule encompass even misdemeanor cases? Because there always is that, that potential there, it seems to me. I think in most misdemeanor cases, even on a case-by-case -case analysis with the police officers going to the door in a drug case, uh, that in that case-by-case -case analysis, there may be some exceptions to it, but in that case-by-case -case analysis, the, uh, the, the uh, balance would weigh heavily on the side of the police. Would it ever weigh the other way if the destruction of evidence is enough? Uh, in a, in a low-level, in a case-by-case -case analysis, in a low-level drug case in which there's information that uh, it is only the grandmother who is on the right. premises, perhaps. But she's but, fast enough to get to the bathroom in 10 seconds. Uh, well, she may be, but I, as I say, in that, in a case-by-case -case analysis with the, in a misdemeanor simple possession of, dr of marijuana with a grandmother on the premises, perhaps it is uh, sufficient, to, perhaps in that balance, uh, uh, you would come out with a knock and announce. But what we are advocating... I'm suggesting that you rule out and say you do not need to, you never need to knock and announce if destruction of evidence is a sufficient exigent circumstance. I don't know why you would ever have to knock and announce. Because there's always the danger, it seems to me, that you get some drugs flushed down the toilet. I believe you do not have to knock and announce where you have reasonable suspicion to believe that destruction of evidence will occur. The question before the court that the, uh, here, I believe, is whether you can apply that in a blanket way, uh, as the Wisconsin Supreme Court has done in felony drug dealing cases, or whether in each individual case we have to have a suppression hearing in which those specific facts uh, are laid out. Well, may I ask you whether we're talking about anything but formality? And correct me if I'm wrong on, on these points. I assume that most drug cases do have a suppression hearing. Maybe a simple one may not take very long, but usually this is a suppression motion. Uh, 
Number two, on the very premises of your argument, if you have to justify the failure to knock and announce, you're going to be able to do it, I would assume, without too much trouble. In fact, I assume you could do it with, with virtually no trouble in, in most cases. There will occasionally be a rare case in which, for example, uh, the informant has told you there are no guns, the marijuana is stored in bales out in the barn, so that there's no risk of, of destruction. And in those rare cases, you wouldn't be able to, to, to justify the failure to knock and announce. But in most of them, you could. So are we talking really about uh, the, the need for anything more than dispensing with what is probably, in most cases, almost a formality uh, in the proof uh, that, that you will adduce, the evidence that you will adduce at the suppression hearing? Well, on the question of whether it will be a formality, much depends on what position this court adopts in this case. If you well, want to adopt the uh, petitioner's position, it is much more than a formality. We have details. Let's assume this court says, look, we are perfectly willing to recognize that in most cases involving drug dealers, the, the state will in fact have valid grounds uh, for dispensing with knock and announce because the marijuana won't be in the barn and the informant will not have said these people are, are unarmed. So that we, we said, we recognize that in most cases, they'll be able to, to make their proof without great difficulty. But we're not going to adopt a blanket rule for the simple reason that if we do, we're going to be starting down the road to more blanket exceptions and more blanket exceptions after that. So that in order to preserve the particularized inquiry value, which is a real value in the long run, we're still going to require the state, in effect, to make its proof, knowing perfectly well that the state can do it in most cases. Now, that, I take it, would be a fairly benign atmosphere uh, for, for you to present your proof in individual cases. Assuming we said something like that, are we then, in this case, arguing about anything much more than a formality? Yes, I believe you are, Justice Stewart. Let me say that uh, the position you've laid out, as I understand it, is essentially that of the Solicitor General, and it's one that, uh, that uh, we would prevail on in this case uh, under the record and, and that we would accept. But I do think there are values that, uh, and, and reasons to go beyond it for the blanket rule, and there are two of them. The first is that the uh, officer at the scene, as he uh, or she approaches the door, or as they approach the door in drug cases, is uh, will be under the blanket rule able to make a strategic tactical decision not worrying about whether or not it will meet a reasonableness uh, uh, fourth amendment test at a later uh, time down the road and in that regard i think it is this case is very much in line uh, with michigan versus summers in which in the manner of the execution of the search warrant this court did adopt a bright line rule that permitted officers to round up the people on the, presence, on the premises where a search warrant was being, uh, where it was being executed. And here we are talking, just as in Michigan versus Summers, with the manner of the execution of the search warrant. And I believe that police officers, for their safety, for the safety of the occupants within, should be able to make those decisions on the entry based on their tactical and strategic decisions. Now, they may decide for reasons that were mentioned earlier uh, uh, by my opponent, but in some of those instances, it may not be safe and wise to come barging in. It may be safer for everyone to, to come in in a different way, but that decision is a strategic and tactical one. The second issue is, I think that over time, you will see those relatively benign suppression hearings 
become very complicated hearings about what additional facts did the police know. Okay, well, wouldn't, wouldn't part of it be who had the burden of proof in those hearings? I mean, if the state had the burden of proof at the suppression, that it didn't know anything more, it's very hard to prove a negative. That's correct, Mr. Chief Justice. Uh, if, if we have to prove these were the only facts we had and we had no further facts, we knew he was a drug dealer, uh, felony drug dealer, and that's what we knew, and then we go through a hearing on what more did you know. If we have to prove what we didn't know, it becomes almost an impossibility. I think you will also be led, Justice Souter, into a series of hearings and a whole area of new issues of law for you to be resolved about what further proof is enough to overcome the drug dealing exception. All right. Oh, Joel, there, there are two questions that I have with respect to your argument about how complicated this would be. One is, what do we do about Wilson where it was a drug case and where the police knew in advance that she was armed? Uh, was that just an idle exercise? And the, the second question is, in this very case, uh, there was one justice on Wisconsin Supreme Court who said, I think that uh, no knock is generally required. But it's obvious that in this case, it could be dispensed with. So it didn't see, it seem like it's a very complicated exercise if you apply the rule. And if you don't apply the rule, aren't we just gutting what we said a couple of years ago? Justice Ginsburg, I think uh, you, uh, Wilson versus Arkansas is, uh, was not a useless exercise. I think this court clearly said that the knock and announce is part of the reasonableness consideration of the Fourth Amendment. And we said that in the case of a drug offense in which the police were told that the person they were going in to apprehend was armed. That's correct, and you made it clear in Wilson versus Arkansas that uh, the facts and, and whether, the, whether it was justified to enter without a no-knock would be remanded to the Arkansas courts to be determined. And uh, this court also made it clear in Wilson versus Arkansas that uh, it was you were going to leave it to the state courts at least for a while to begin to determine uh, those uh, times in which legitimate law enforcement uh, concerns outweighed uh, the requirement of knock and announce. I, as I read Wilson versus Arkansas, the Arkansas Supreme Court just sort of put it to you pretty bluntly. I mean, they said this doesn't uh, have any Fourth Amendment uh, implications. And I think this court said it does have Fourth Amendment implications. And we are here agreeing. And in fact, the Wisconsin courts have always agreed it has Fourth Amendment implications. But, but we review a judgment, not, a, not an opinion. So I take it from what you're saying today that we really should have affirmed, not remanded in Wilson. Because the fact is that you're arguing for drug offense, arms, uh, were present. I think that, uh, if I might say so, you were correct of remanding to have the Arkansas court system consider the facts of that case uh, under the, in light of the determination that knock and announce is part of the reasonable requirement of the Fourth Amendment. And you sent it back to a state court to make that uh, to make that determination we, we don't always uh, <clears throat> we don't always determine alternative grounds for affirmance on our own we, we often remand uh, where there's an alternative ground argued isn't that right well that's correct and and uh, again after wilson versus arkansas this court made it very clear it, it, it said that uh, 
that uh, failure to knock and announce might violate the Fourth Amendment and that uh, you were going to leave it to states. We, and if we do that, I, I mean, what I'd be rather worried about here is if a blanket rule crime by crime is constitutional, Wilson v. Arkansas doesn't mean too much, I would think, because uh, after all, most people who are arrested and searched have committed at least probable cause to believe they've committed rather serious crimes. So if a state could go through its criminal code and sort of block off every serious crime, not too many instances are there in which it would have to follow the Wilson v. Arkansas rule. Well, at least if you make it case by case, you weed out at some hearing price the instances where there really wasn't a good reason to dispense with the requirement. That's what I would be concerned about. I think it is uh, difficult, Justice Breyer, to come up with another category of cases. A murder, for example, or armed bank robbery where people are injured, and uh, let's try, uh, you know, uh, a serious assaults. And uh, we could go through and find lots of rather serious crimes in a criminal code. There, there is no doubt, I think, in a, in a bank robbery where people are injured on the facts of that particular case, there would be no problem with knocking an ounce, assuming it was close in time. To say, however, that all murders or all bank robberies are exempt may be another case that will come along, but I would suggest that, uh, that the drug dealing case goes well beyond them because... Yeah, all all, all, all uh, felony, felonious use of marijuana is serious, and murder is subject to case by case? Drug dealing uh, has, is a commerce in this country. It is an illegal commerce. It is a commerce, unfortunately, that is marked I'm by not danger and violence. I, my point is that many, many crimes are serious. That's correct, Your Honor. Many crimes are serious, but that drug dealing fits into a particular category. There is not a commerce in murders or in bank robberies. There is a commerce in drug dealing, and it is a commerce that is characterized by the use of weapons, by, uh, by, by the willingness to use weapons, by, by gang domination. Currently, by that's currently so, General Doyle, but you, you could have said the same thing about, uh, about moonshining uh, uh, during Prohibition. It, it was... Uh, the kind of a crime that, that attracted the, the mob and, and there were machine guns and, and a lot of violence. I expect you wouldn't say the same thing about it today. Now, if we're going to adopt a, a constitutional rule, does this constitutional rule change as the, uh, uh, you know, as, as the proclivities of criminals change? Why not just, just leave it the general, the general rule that where you have uh, cause to believe that you'll be endangered or that the, the drugs will, you know, or the, the, what you're searching for will be destroyed, you can enter without knocking. And as things now are, that would work out that in 99% of the drug cases, you, you'll be able to do it. But if the, if the culture changes and, and, and drug people become very laid back and pacific instead of the violent people they are, then we don't have to adopt a new constitutional rule. What I am asking this court to do is to, as you did in uh, Maryland versus Wilson, is to determine reasonableness in a category of cases. And that may, I you, may I ask you, in, in doing that, if, if you have any statistical evidence that you want to point out to us that demonstrates that it is more dangerous to officers to knock and announce than not to? Is there any place we could look for that? 
Your Honor, the best that we can do is what is in our brief, which shows that drug dealing is dangerous and it's dangerous to police. But uh, frankly, the... No, I mean, as far as we know, they're as apt to be hurt if they don't knock and announce as if they do. I mean, that, we, we aren't able to make that decision, apparently. I, as, as a statistical matter, I don't think you can make that decision because I agree there's never been a scientific peer-reviewed study on if you knock and announce or you don't knock and announce what happens. But as I think Justice Scalia uh, mentioned earlier, that's a judgment that's made by police officers every day as they but, approach. But your, your state Supreme Court made the judgment here, or so you're saying that we should not rely on the danger of knocking versus danger of not knocking. I, I believe that you should rely that it is, it is frequently, it is dangerous for police to knock and announce their presence. And Unless we could say that each state Supreme Court is capable of making that judgment and one state says it's more dangerous, the other state says it isn't, and then we have to accept that. But that well, I, I don't think that we would adopt that rule. Well, we're asking you to say that it's permissible under the Fourth Amendment whether states want to go to the full extent of what you declare to be the, 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 the limit that they can go to under the Fourth Amendment will be for from different states to make uh, General that. General isn't it true that just as there are no statistics comparing the relative danger with a knock and without a knock, isn't it also true that there are at least some drug cases in which it's the grandmother example and the marijuana grow in the backyard, and there really isn't any statistical study telling us what percentage are the dangerous ones and what percentage are the relatively not dangerous? Well, that's correct, uh, Justice Stevens, but also on those kinds of hypotheticals, there are certainly facts in, uh, presented in our brief and, and I think to the court's common knowledge that the fact that it's an elderly person or the fact, uh, for example, those, the, of those justice You could say they generally would not uh, bust in in those cases, but they would have a constitutional right to do so under your rule. That's correct, and unfortunately in this day and age, because they're elderly, may not mean they're not going to be violent. No, that's Thank, Thank you, General you. Doyle. Mr. Estrada. Healthier elderly population. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. In our view, law officers who have a warrant to search for evidence of narcotics dealing ordinarily will be justified in concluding that announcement to the dwelling or to those in the dwelling will endanger the safety of the officers and create a significant risk that evidence will be destroyed. Therefore, Abe was right under current circumstances. That might change in the future. Is, is that the government's view? Uh, that is right. Mm -hmm. Our fundamental point in this case, Justice Scalia, is that all that is at issue in this case is what can be a basis for a reasonable belief on the part of the officers that they will be in danger or that, they are, or that the drugs will be destroyed. And our fundamental point is that a judgment based on past experience with similar cases is just as valid a ground for a reasonable belief on the part of the officer as may be the circumstances that confront the officer at the specific time of the entry. Uh, and in our view, uh, those circumstances, if nothing more is known, will ordinarily warrant the officer in thinking that those dangers exist and to make an unannounced entry. On the other hand, one of the things that and Chief Judge Abrahamson said in his concurring opinion was, well, if you're going to go by danger to the police officer, 
more police officers are killed responding to calls, domestic violence calls, than in drug raids. So if it's danger to the police officer and you can have a blanket rule for drug raids, why not a blanket rule for domestic violence situations? Well, I don't know that there is any reason to think that in those particular cases, the manner of entry makes any difference. Fundamentally as well, we're dealing in this case with a class of cases in which the fundamental intrusion is by right. That is to say, a neutral and detached magistrate has already determined that the officers will come in. In that other category of cases, it is more likely to be the case uh, that someone has made a call on the telephone indicating that there is a need for the officer simply to come and investigate. And it's not necessarily true in, in, in those cases that you know anything other uh, than the fact that there has been a call uh, as, as the basis for any further official action. But what about the statistics that inform the officer? If you're going to respond to one of those calls, you're walking into a very dangerous situation where well, your life is going to be on the line. Well, that may be true, uh, but it is not, and just to, to put our point in, in context, our point in this case is that that may have significance in the officer's reasonable conduct. It is a fact that the officer may take into account. There may be other facts. I don't know that much about But I, I'm just wondering why we can't have blanket rules for all these dangerous situations. What is it about the drug raid that distinguishes it from others if danger to the police officer is our standard? It may be, it may be the case that there are other cases in which, similar, in which a similar rule is warranted. Justice Ginsburg, but I think that the class of cases that we have here are significant in, in that we have the courts all over the country telling this court that this is a class of cases in which there is a remarkable danger of violence and a high danger that the evidence will be destroyed. Well, you, and this court, you, you, you also, in, in identifying, you, you have a, a warrant issued by a magistrate. Well, that's right. And as I pointed out earlier, in that other class of cases, it is likely to be the case that the fundamental intrusion into the home has not been authorized. You are suggesting a general standard, not a per se rule. Is that a, a, an appropriate characterization of your brief and of your argument? That is right, Justice Kennedy. All we're saying is that, that the standard uh, that is offered by Mr. Carp is so low that in the absence of any further information, the officer's knowledge that the case involves drug dealing will itself be a reasonable basis for a case-specific reasonable belief that there is danger to the officer. Well, you're not supporting the Wisconsin rule in any event, the Wisconsin Supreme Court per se rule. No, we're not. And well, would you support the rule if we were only dealing with uh, situations where the magistrate had specifically determined they should enter without knocking? What about that? That is not a course that, as I read this court's cases, is open to the court because it was an argument that was made in the Dahlia So, so the statutes in Nebraska and Utah, to that effect, presumably are invalid? No, they're not constitutionally required. 
in making the judgment that a non-knock entry may be okay, it is possible for a state or for the federal rules to have that sort of a mechanism. My point is that it is not constitutionally required because in the Dahlia case, this court confronted that issue, whether the judge should authorize in advance uh, an unannounced entry, and the court answered that issue in the negative. Uh, so it may be a good... Yes, but what about those states that do, by statute, provide that the magistrate will consider and determine whether or not there can be a no-knock entry? Now, if, if that's the scheme, then is it constitutional to have a per se rule? It, it is, it, it likely is if the judge has made a finding uh, that that is a course that is warranted in the circumstances. My point was solely to say that that's not a course that can be required under the Fourth Amendment because that is an issue that the court has already considered in the Dahlia case, uh, and the answer was in the negative. I'm, I'm curious to know, if the magistrate makes the determination that you must not direct the officer to knock as part of the warrant, and the officer sees something that they think overrides the judgment, and they don't knock, uh, that does not necessarily invalidate the search, does it? That is right, and let me uh, take that as an opportunity to answer something that Mr. Karp said. When the warrant was sought in this case, it was in 1991. And at that time, the state courts in this state had a rule that a mere showing that the case involves drug dealing and an assertion uh, that those cases are likely to be categorically dangerous was insufficient to authorize a judge to issue a non of warrant. So all that the judge in this case did was to say uh, that the fact that that are in this case had no bearing on whether a whether the officers should make a no-knock entry. It is not that the judge made a determination under the right Fourth Amendment standard that his circumstances in this case did not justify a non-knock entry. Mr. Estrada, what, what do you do about uh, uh, General Doyle's concern that uh, it's fine to have this general rule, but it'll always be controverted at the, uh, at, at the exclusion hearing where... Uh, uh, the uh, defendant will come in and say, well, you knew that we didn't have, uh, you knew that we didn't have weapons. Well, I think that in our view, someone would not be entitled to a hearing unless he can point to objectively ascertainable facts that indicate that prima facie, at least, the conduct was clearly unreasonable. In the federal system, uh, there are very few suppression hearings held uh, because unless someone is able to comfort with a prima facie showing uh, that there is in fact a Fourth Amendment violation, one is not entitled to have a hearing so that one may inquire. show that we didn't have weapons. In fact, we didn't have weapons. And I, well, and I say, you, you, you knew it. Is that, is that enough to get the hearing? Well, you would have to have a specific factual basis for the imputation that they knew it. Uh, and in the absence of that, no hearing would be required. On whom is the burden of proof? Uh, in a search, in a search that is conducted under the, under a search warrant, Mr. Se uh, Mr. Chief Justice, the burden would be on the defendant. Uh, if a search is conducted in the absence of a of such a warrant, uh, it would be on on the government to show that the conduct was lawful. 
Let me just take it. Say you're not in a drug case, but a financial crime or something like that, and the police had a warrant, went in without knocking or announcing, and the defendant proved just that, that, that uh, this was a financial crimes case, and they came in with a warrant, but they did not knock and announce. Would, would that have satisfied their burden? May I, Mr. Chief Justice? Yes. Under the Wilson case, given that the background rule is that they should knock, yes. Thank you, Mr. Estrada. Mr. Karp, you have four minutes remaining. In Wilson versus Arkansas, this court gave the state courts an inch. The Wisconsin state court took a mile, drained the blood out of the meaning uh, of Wisconsin, excuse me, of Wilson versus Arkansas. The, uh, the instances where blanket rules have uh, been applied by this court don't apply. Michigan versus Summers regarded simply a detention while the search was going on. It wasn't even about uh, the search. In, uh, in United States versus Dunn, uh, 480, United States 294, at page 301, footnote 4, this court rejected uh, a blanket rule even for curtilage of a house. And we, I, I made a mistake. We did not include this in the brief. In fact, it wasn't until I read the, the, the as to yet undistributed uh, Wayne County amicus brief that I was made aware of the Dunn case. Uh, in Maryland versus Bowie, Bowie this court rejected uh, a blanket rule involving a search of the house. If I could speak to the manner of uh, drug storage in this particular case, uh, yes, the drugs were in the bathroom, but behind the ceiling tile, wrapped up several times in different bags, and again, among the packaging, uh, there were 120 separate uh, little Ziploc gem packs. Uh, This rule is not to be given uh, a grudging application by this court, and the blanket exception essentially swallows the rule. Uh, It applies uh, it applies to all sorts of offenses. If, uh, in footnote two of the lower court opinion, it refers even to maintaining a dwelling for use of drugs. It, mean, it refers uh, to obtaining uh, drugs by uh, contraband. One, one of the very important purposes of this rule uh, is to uh, avoid unreasonable errors. Certainly, we, we have to tolerate some uh, police errors, but uh, there must be errors uh, of the police acting as uh, reasonable people. Mr. Kopp, suppose we were to take Wisconsin's fallback position that not in every drug case, but at least when the object of the warrant is a drug dealer, at least in drug dealer cases, as opposed to houses known to um, have, have drugs. Where you're dealing with a drug dealer, you can infer that there will be arms. You, will, you can infer that there's going to be an effort to destroy evidence. So why not? And that's a narrower rule than, than any drug case. Why Just, won't that work? Justice Ginsburg, that would apply to uh, two college kids in a dorm room that doesn't even have a toilet who pass a joint back and forth. They're committing a felony uh, in Wisconsin. Distri- distribution. And there's no. no it, my, but I'm narrowing it as I think. Uh, General Doyle did in in the brief to a known drug dealer. In the case of a drug dealer, somebody who distributes grand scale drugs, drug dealers more often than not will have guns and more often than not will try to destroy evidence if they have notice. So we'll now remove your two kids in a college dorm and just take the dealer. 
How about the single mother with six kids who's selling joints out the back door? Would, would that apply to her? Do we really want the police crashing in in that sort of situation? No, I'm taking all those cases out and we're concentrating on the dealer. Well, I guess it's, it's hard uh, it's hard perhaps to, to draw the line. Um, the, more, the more drugs someone has, uh, the harder it is going to be to destroy them. Um, I, I think that, that the pro that rule would have uh, problems, great problems in application just to decide what, what point, uh, at what quantity of drug are we going to decide that the, uh, uh, the rule would apply. Thank um, you, Mr. Cutt. The case is submitted.